Hi, my name's India. This is Be More Orca, Buck the Menopause. Now, I'm not a medic, or an expert, or a celebrity. I'm just going through it myself. I was totally blindsided by my symptoms. I knew nothing about this stage of my life. And then I discovered neither did any of my friends. So I'm on a mission to find out everything I can, explore every avenue to help us manage our symptoms and get our lives back on track. In this episode, I'd like you to meet the indomitable Natalie Beresford, a frontline response inspector for Thames Valley Police who after 30 years of service has just retired. But boy, has she left a long-lasting legacy. Hello, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hello. Now, before we talk about the massive achievement of making Thames Valley Police a menopause-friendly employer and being winner of the most open workplace. Congratulations on that. Thank you. I actually want to hear about how you were personally impacted by the menopause. Okay, so I keep trying to remember how many years ago this was, um, and it it all kind of funnels into one, but I think probably about three years ago now, I was a frontline response inspector. I work in Thames Valley Police. I was an inspector in the response team. So the the kind of the boys and girls that you see driving around in the blue light cars and stuff like that, that was my team. And I worked in Reading, which was a wonderfully busy place to work. (laughs) And I also, at the same time, I did the duty detective inspector call-out role as well, which was unique. I was the only one in the force that was managing to do both roles. And I was just at that point in my life and my career where I suddenly felt like everything had slotted in place, you know, like suddenly everything just seemed easy and as kind of unnerving and as terrifying as some of those roles could be at times. I just felt there was nothing I couldn't sort, nothing I wouldn't know, nothing I couldn't understand. And it sounds like you were flying as well. I mean, if no one else has done those roles concurrently, then that's an impressive achievement in itself. Do you know what? I felt like I just arrived. I felt like all these years had kind of... um, um, led up to me arriving at that point. And you had been in the police force for 28 years by then? Yeah, by then, probably 26, 27, yeah, probably. Yeah, I'd been in a long time and I suddenly felt like, this is fine now, this is comfortable, I'm all good. This is taking me this long to get here. And, and I did, I felt like everything was great. But then suddenly starting to creep in were some really scary things, some really obscure things. So I would get to work some days and I wouldn't know why I was there. And I'd pull into the low ground car park and I couldn't work out how to get out of the car park. Oh my God. Couldn't work out where the doors were. And then when I finally did get into the station, I'd walk around and I'd see people that I'd worked with for years and years and years and I couldn't name them. Had not a clue what they were called. My PCs would come into my office and I'd very discreetly put their shoulder numbers into our computer. We all have individual numbers that we wear on our shoulders and I'd very discreetly put them into the computer just to remember what they were called. It was ridiculous. And then our chief constable changed the whole system. So the new system, not only couldn't I learn it, but it didn't have an option for putting their shoulder numbers in. Okay. <laughs> I, think, I think we all know with menopause symptoms that they're not constant. They're not every minute of every day. They kind of flit in and out. But this would happen quite frequently. I'd get confused. I'd get muddled. I couldn't concentrate. I could no longer take in detailed information and and 
sort of disseminate it in my head and then be able to work out what to do with it. Stuff that I'd always found really, really easy. You know, we, we use a thing called the National Decision Making Model. You know, when you're duty DI or when you're the duty inspector and you're managing a big job, you use this all the time and, and you sort of spin your stuff around it, the information that you've got until you get a result. And it's a brilliant system I've used forever. And suddenly I couldn't find that information to even throw through the National Decision Making Model to get the answer. And so all these things, you can imagine, were just starting to make me feel a, a little bit diminished. I was feeling that I was starting to fail at my job. I was really scared about the impact it was having on me mentally because my grandmother at the time was just starting to get dementia. And she would say to me, why do I say these things? Why do I do these things when she had moments of clarity? And because she did, and because I did, because these lapses in concentration and judgment weren't constant, I was utterly terrified there was dementia utterly terrified. And if you've got a female relative that you're seeing going through it, you think, oh no, it's coming down the line. Definitely. It's in the post. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. And so yes, I was really scared. And I now know from all the work that we've done that that fear of dementia is the thing that gets most women through the door at the doctors. It's the thing where we finally say, I can't take this anymore. Yeah. That was really scary. I would lose words. Oh, And you know, that can be funny at times. But again, when you're supposed to be in charge and you're trying to talk on the radio and you lose words. So I'd start stuttering and stammering on the radio and I knew everyone could hear that and they're expecting me to be in charge and you know they must be thinking oh for goodness sake she can't she can't even talk on the radio the most basic of police functions so I would try and avoid doing that and I used to chair quite a few meetings really important stuff you know again making big decisions about some dangerous people I couldn't trust myself to make the decisions and when those meetings went on to teams because of COVID because of lockdown it became really difficult because when I had all these people in a room, I could see on their name badges in front of them who they were, what department they worked for. I couldn't do that. And actually, initially, it was all just on phones and I would struggle to hear people's accents and voices and it would just become self-fulfilling. You are useless now. You cannot even chair meetings. You don't know what people are talking about. You've lost control of this meeting. Everybody's laughing at you. Everyone thinks you're ridiculous. And you just get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I had dreadful insomnia. Sometimes I would only sleep for two hours and I was doing 24-hour shift work at the time. So early's, lates and nights. You know, be going in on night shift on two hours sleep and then running the whole team all through the night. And it's not something that you could just go, oh, actually, I'll just coast this day. You've got to be on it. Yeah. And so I literally, I found that I was just, I was surviving on adrenaline. I'd arrive at work and, I, and every ounce of adrenaline I had was what I would use to get me through that shift. And then I'd finish work and, and boom. And then I would try and take leave either at the beginning or the the end of the shift pattern. We did a rotation of six days, so two early, two late, two nights. And I would, I would try and take off the last night shift and the first early shift just to try and get time to kind of recover and sleep. And that didn't work. So I'd try and take the middle shift off as well. And, and none of this was working. Everything I was putting in place, nothing was working. I had the physical symptoms. Yeah. So what physical symptoms did you have? I had really painful crawling skin. So the skin on my neck and shoulders would just crawl and it would burn. So when I was in my stab vest, it would be really really painful. It would feel like I was on fire. I know now all these things are really common symptoms of the menopause. I didn't know this at the time. So what did you think it was? I had no idea. I had no idea. So my mother had always had lots of like skin allergies and I and I inherited a few things from her. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, this is it. I'm just turning into mum. And you know, sadly by then my mum wasn't around. So I couldn't even talk to her about these things. But I remember her having very painful and dry skin and us having to like rub cream into her back and stuff. And I thought, oh, that's just going to end up me. I'm going to turn into my 
mum, that's what's going to happen. I would get a very, very hot mouth. So I know now it's called burning mouth syndrome. Yeah. But even just drinking water, it would feel like my mouth was on fire. Dr. Katie Barber, uh, she said that she had that and that was the first I'd ever heard of it. And it's not on any of the symptom checkers or anything. So, and you had it too. Yes, it's crazy. Um, Itchy, sore eyes, electric shocks. Electric shocks. So these are all the sort of more obscure things. And, And had I known all of those, when they first started happening, then... I might have said, oh, it's a combination of all these things. I wonder if it's that thing called the menopause I need to find out about. Yeah, you join the dots. I think we, I'm going to say grow up thinking, actually, I don't think we think about the menopause. I think it's been kept quiet for so long. We don't think about it at all. But if anybody asked us, we would just say, I think it's hot flushes and it happens to old ladies. Yeah. It doesn't. It happens to us in the prime of our lives, at the peak of our careers, when we're still young and enjoying life. It kind of comes along and seeks to bosh us on the head and say, like, ladies, know your place. It kind of does that to us, doesn't it? So <laughs> you're getting far too successful for your own good. Yeah, I'm just going to take your confidence down a peg or two. You know, I had some of the other awful physical symptoms like flooding. I suffered really badly with flooding. And this was the thing that really scared me. Alongside the dementia, the flooding terrified me. So I think as women, we know our bodies inside out, don't we? You know, we go through this cycle every month, whether it's an erratic cycle or a regular one, we go through it and we know it and it's ours and we're used to it. And we know a feeling as soon as it arrives, like, oh, it's that time. Is it right? Yeah, yeah. And we're ready for it. And suddenly I would flood really heavily. And again, it never happens in the comfort of your own home. It happens happens when you're in the middle of the supermarket or you're walking down the high street. That's when it happens or when you're in juicy. I was going to say it works. That can't have been... Yeah, it's awful. It did happen to me at work and it was awful. It happened on a night shift and trying to find a shower that works in Reading Police Station isn't easy. Trying to find one with hot water at three o'clock in the morning definitely isn't easy. And is it genuinely shower? You need to shower then? Yeah, change your clothes. So yeah, it would come through my jeans. It's really heavy bleeding. Yeah. You know, aside from the huge embarrassment it caused me. And again, remember, I'm supposed to be in charge and I'm having to go back to the station and get showered and get changed. And at that point, we couldn't get extra uniforms. So the only spare uniform I had was my old public order kit, the stuff that we wear for the riot trainings. <laughs> right. It was all I had. So I had to put that on. And again, you know, I'm supposed to be in charge and I look like a sack tied in the middle. I look ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I, I tend not to worry until I've got something to worry about. But the flooding terrified me. Yeah. Because we know our bodies so well. I was so scared about this really heavy bleeding. I was terrified what that would mean. And of course, I think so many of us, I thought the worst and thought, oh, this is, this is really serious. This is really bad. I went to the GP. They referred me for loads of tests and scans and everything else. I ended up with a gynecologist, so an expert in women's health. And the expert in women's health told me that I should consider a hysterectomy. For what reason, though? We're just like, get rid of it all. Yeah, if you're bleeding heavily, just take it all out. That'll be fine. Let's get rid of it. That'll solve the problem. Let's go all or nothing. Let's let's either bleed heavily or have a hysterectomy. An expert in women's health. So luckily I left there saying, yeah, I'm probably going to need to think about this. This doesn't seem right at all. So I got sent away with lots of leaflets of all the different ways you could have a hysterectomy. And at the same time, the NHS was sending me for MRIs and x-rays because I had really severe joint pain. And I know from doctors, they need to make sure it's nothing else. I know that. I haven't been doing this podcast for long, but I have to say, even I know, joint pain, itchy skin, flooding. Someone should at some point have gone, oh, hang on. 
you 47, 48, maybe it's the menopause? How long did it take before someone actually said the word menopause to you? I continued in this cycle of, of survival. That's exactly what it was, survival. And, you know, during this time, my marriage failed and, um, and work was failing. So it was massively impacting you personally and in, in work. Yeah, hugely. Yes. And it wasn't solely responsible for the end of my marriage. But <laughs> <laughs> it probably played a part in my lack of ability to address other issues. But regardless, everything seemed to be falling apart. And I was in this kind of spiral of survival. And I, I finally spoke to my boss. <laughs> now, um, I'm laughing because uh, he was two when I joined the police. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and he'd only turned 30, like either the week I spoke to him or shortly after. He's a great man. He's a wonderful man, but he still looks quite cherubic. And there was me talking about flooding. But you felt you could talk to him or was it a necessity? Had you got to a point where I have to just go and take the embarrassment of saying this to this cherub? Yeah, I had no choice. I knew I was broken. I knew I was failing everyone or in my mind I was failing everyone yeah everyone's been very sweet since and said actually we didn't notice now that's interesting you felt as though you were just destroying your career definitely and they said they didn't notice yeah but I started to avoid the things that would expose me so I would start to avoid chairing the meetings or my partner Rob would he chaired the same meeting that I did but for his police area and I would chair it at home with him in the background so he became my safety net because I couldn't always avoid to do the difficult meeting so I would have him there just off camera you know I'd mute myself and say tell me what to say tell me what to ask I mean this is crazy I'd been so experienced and knowledgeable for so long and suddenly I needed somebody to, to feed me questions and to feed me knowledge. But I think also women have an amazing ability to make sure that you keep your nose just above water. But that's a crazy situation, isn't it? But I think it's telling that no one, no one noticed that you were avoiding meetings and no one noticed that you were failing, but you felt the world is crumbling. Massively, yeah. I mean, I had a wonderful team of sergeants under me. So, you know, instead of me doing the briefing before each shift, then my sergeants would do it all. I would do something so I got there maybe a bit later. So by the time I got there, it was already in full throw, so I didn't have to take it. And I would, instead of talking on the radio, I'd be in the office updating on the system so the radio operator would relay my message. I became less confident in going out because of this massive fear of flooding in my uniform. Yeah. So I would put things in place. And I think, you know, as well as being a woman, and you're absolutely right, we problem solve and, and, and put things in place all the time, don't we? I think also added into that being a police officer, you know, we put our shield on mm. at the start of every shift. We stop being us and we just become our police officer person. I think that probably helped too. But I knew I was utterly broken. I knew I was completely broken and I had to go and see my boss. And he was wonderful. He was wonderful. He was clearly completely thrown by it, horrified by it. He kept confusing the term flooding with with the word gushing. <laughs> <laughs> so we did have to have a couple of conversations about how they were very different things. Have a slight different connotation, doesn't it? She was gushing. She's thrilled. <laughs> so um, we still joke about that now. And, and whenever I do talks, I always mention it. Anyway, he was amazing. He was brilliant. And he again said, well, look, I'll come out. I'll crew with you. I'll, I'll come and see you. And actually, a couple of jobs that I ran out to, he appear in the corridor and he'd say I'm coming with you and you know he'd be pulling on his stab vest that he hadn't worn for like years
years. And, and of course, because he's there, it's easy for me on that one occasion to really step it up, pull on all that adrenaline and confidence again. And from, you know, we get back to the station, he'd be like, see, I don't know what you're worried about. You know exactly what you're doing. Like, and then you crawl into a hole at the end of the day going, I am absolutely. Yes. But you know, you then can't explain to him, yes, but then what happens is because I've been doing a, a night shift, I go home and I'm exhausted. And the next day I can't even work out how to make coffee. I've got the coffee and I've got the pot and I've got the kettle and I can't work out how to put the three things together because I'm so tired and I've lost my cognitive function. And, you know, I can't explain that to him because you can't go, well, every day it does this, this and this because every day it's something different. Yeah. So it's not constant and it's not constantly crippling, but it's crippling frequently enough to diminish your feeling of being in charge, being in control. I felt like my body and my mind were letting me down. I felt that I was letting everyone down. Yeah. I tell you what I did suffer from, which actually I don't talk about that often. <laughs> An emotion I've never really experienced is anger. I just don't. I don't get angry. But suddenly rage. Oh my goodness. Uncontrollable rage. Rage to the point where I'd have to throw cushions on pillows because it was the safest thing to do. I, like, I wouldn't break anything. But it was rage I'd never experienced. Irrational rage or rage at things that you'd normally get angry at or just suddenly I need to blow my top? Utterly irrational, but a terrifying rage that I'd never experienced. Absolute, like, built up rage where I really felt I could do harm. <laughs> And, and, and I know now, again, I know that this is classic. And the anxiety, oh, anxiety is a symptom of menopause. And then, of course, you, you factor in all these other bits that are seeking to destroy you. Yeah, no wonder you're anxious. I feel I'm failing at everything. So obviously, my anxiety is going through the roof. I can't make decisions when people are coming in to get big decisions from me. I can't trust myself to brief my team. I can't trust myself to chair meetings. I don't see anyone around me that looks like me, sounds like me, the same age as me, acts like me. I don't see anyone that I can recognize talking about this. Nobody else is talking about menopause. And were there any other women in Thames Valley Police at the time who were at your level? Yeah, definitely. So within my station, it was brilliant. When I first joined, to see a woman in a senior role was unheard of. And Reading at the time I was there was utterly fabulous. Most of the area management team were female. It was brilliant. So I think we had something like seven or eight females, three or four men. That was it uh, in our area management team. So we were all women, but nobody was talking about it. And I just thought, am I being a complete prima donna? And as I said, my mum wasn't around. So I, I spoke to my neighbours. They were brilliant. I went to see my neighbour and was like, help, I need a mum. And, and it was her that said, look, you're going to have to go to the doctor with all these things. And I went to the doctor and by then I was starting to suffer with night sweats and hot flushes. You know, you might as well go in with a big sandwich board saying, I am menopausal. It's like you can say, so for the last couple of years when all these things have been destroying my life, I know it's been nothing to worry about, but now I've got night sweats and hot flushes. Ah, oh, it must be the menopause. Couldn't have been before that, obviously. So it was when I then went to a doctor and actually it was the first time I'd seen a different doctor and she was lovely. She was actually really sweet. And she said, look, it sounds like you're possibly possibly starting the menopause. Possibly starting as well. That's yes, little did I know by that point, gosh, I was virtually menopausal because it wasn't that long after that I hit the end of period. And so I actually was menopausal. So I'd been perimenopausal for probably four years by that point. She was brilliant. She gave me HRT. But what she also said was, but for all this other stuff, I'm going to give you some antidepressants too. And I know now, no, 
no, not antidepressants for menopause. Antidepressants for depression. Yeah, I'm not depressed. Depression, anxiety within menopause, HRT. Or, you know, if you can take it, obviously, I know there's lots of women that can't and lots of women that won't or don't or choose not to. Personal choice. Yeah, and that's absolutely fine for me. It was the absolute elixir. It gave me my life back. It gave me a foundation to rebuild me. So I ended up taking some time off work, which I desperately didn't want to do in the, in the last, you know, few years of my service. Yeah. Well, work sympathetic about that. Did you say at that point, this is what I'm doing and this is why I'm doing it? Or were you having to hide why you were doing it? No. So the doctor suggested it. She said, look, I think you need some time out. And I thought, you know, I can't disagree. I'm utterly exhausted. And I did take some time out. And, and actually the media perception of the police force is that we're all really awful, terrible people and there's terrible organisations to work for. But actually it's the polar opposite. And any kind of mental health or anything within the police force is really high up on the agenda and we are really well looked after and really well supported so I had no fear of saying actually I need some time out because instantly they just replace you with someone else yeah. <laughs> you're completely disposable um, <laughs> because of course the role is essential so they need to make sure someone's in the role so it's not you they'll just put somebody else in there so so they're absolutely fine with it they were really supportive and very lovely and how long did you take out so I had two months off just to reboot and to presumably give the HRT a chance to work yeah definitely I was doing like some basic admin and stuff while I was off just to kind of make myself feel valuable. I, I don't know if it was the GP or, but somebody had told me about the balance app and I downloaded that and every day it kept saying to me, what time did you go to bed? What time did you wake up? And, and this was like every day. And suddenly it was like this penny dropped and I was like, this is telling me I need routine. But also you've been on shift work. You know, if you're talking about insomnia and things like that, your whole circadian rhythm or whatever it is, is completely blown, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. And and I think that I couldn't identify any pattern in my symptoms. I, I, it was almost like every day there was just this fog of, of symptoms and didn't know what was impacting what. And you're right, you know, 24 hour shifts, you don't know, am I just tired? Have I just not eaten right? What is it? But it was a real key moment for me because that's when I said to my boss, I, sh- I need to come off shift. That's what I need to do. I, I need to stop doing shift. I've been in shift since I joined the police. I've done 24 hour shifts pretty much my entire service. Wow. Is that normal? Is that police work? Yeah. I don't think the public realise that, do they? <laughs> no, no. But then, of course, that was a problem because being a frontline officer, that was 24 hour shift work. But to come off of that, I needed to apply or another role, another job. And because I was on the DI ratio right there, there were lots of DI jobs, detective inspector jobs. And I thought, well, of course I can do that because I've been a detective in and out, you know, at every rank throughout my career. It's a role that I kind of go back to at each rank. So I'm a very experienced detective and thought that's what I'll do. But of course, by then, you know, my ability to do anything just seemed to have completely left me. So trying to take in information, trying to learn, trying to get ready for the interview. And I love interviews. I really enjoy them. But the very first question in the interview was was an operational one and I'd already got to the point where I'd convinced myself but you can't you can't make decisions anymore because you can't take in information you can't retain it you can't do anything with it and then you can't make a decision at the end of it so yeah your mindset was already so you did that sort of rabbit in the headlights oh no this is something the anxiety was like you might be sat here feeling like you're going to get this but no I'm going to make sure you don't the anxiety is going to become self-fulfilling and say oh get to the end quickly because you'll be exposed because they'll see that you can't concentrate that you can't remember what was said. 
And then I had a hot flush. In the middle of the... Yeah. And so I knew my shirt was wet and, oh, it was awful. It was awful. Presumably stress brings on hot flushes. I don't know, but I guess it probably does. Yeah. So it won't surprise you to know I didn't get a job. So it left me in kind of no man's land. And I guess then, you know, I could go through 101 symptoms I was suffering from. I think I think at that point they said there were 34. And at that point I had 27 of them. So that's when I kind of set on the path, which has probably led us to each other. Yeah. So I thought, this is crazy. Like, I need to do something about this because every woman in our force is going to experience this. I can't surely be the only one. And you had to go through the adjusted duties process. Talk us through that. So a police officer is measured at a standard, a certain level of what you can do. And that bar is kind of set at a frontline PC, so a uniform PC. And we all know the kind of jobs that they do. So being in their stab vests, arresting people, driving on emergency call-outs and things like that. It's all on that level, pretty much. And if you if you can't perform those roles, you get put through an adjusted duties process. Which And, and it's quite right to do. You know, we're in there for 30 years. Of course, you're going to get injured or ill or whatever at a varying point. And it's, it's a useful useful way of risk assessing where you are now and what the best role is for you in your current physical mental state and, and it can change so ordinarily you have to be injured or, or ill for a significant amount of time I think it's over six months and my boss brilliantly this young dynamic man said right well it's the menopause we know it's not going to go away if the system doesn't work then let's expose that it doesn't work and let's do something about it so he rushed me through the adjusted duties process so within a month or two he rushed me through this process and and it was a meeting with me and my boss and HR and occupational health and the federation and all these people sat in a room. Was that something that you wanted or was it humiliating? Massively, massively humiliating. Because again, remember, I'm supposed to be in charge. I'm supposed to be experienced. I've been at Reading a long, long time. I know lots of people know me and it felt like it was the last possible label of, you know you've been failing, now everyone else is going to know. Yeah. Because they're going to see that label. That's how I felt about it. Yeah. That was my own feeling about it. Very very unfair, but that was my feelings about it. No, no, and it's an understandable feeling. But your boss was actually doing a really nice thing. The system is such that that's the only way that we can get you where you need to be. You have to go through this labelling. What it does is it reinforces what you can't do at a point when you definitely need it to be reinforced what you can do. And it was absolute breaking point for me. It was probably the most humiliating day of my service. Aside from the day of flooding. Yeah, you're worse than flooding. It was worse than flooding on duty. So yeah, it was without doubt the most humiliated day of my service. And nobody was doing anything wrong. That's what's really important. Nobody was doing anything wrong. It's a process that's been put in place for all the right reasons. It's just not right for menopause. By the end of it, the grading that I was given shows that within my organisation, I'm classed as a sort of disabled within my organisation. For being a woman. For being a woman. And I was living and angry and humiliated and utterly, utterly distraught. And I genuinely when he left that office saying no more no woman in my organization should ever experience this ever again hence the last 18 months of my life <laughs> you're an amazing amazing woman so talk us through the last 18 months you had the bit between your teeth what did you do what I did was very quickly I thought right if I'm gonna have the menopause I'm gonna have it the best I can have it so I instantly bought magazines and books and like researched and studied everything I possibly could about menopause and I learned this this age thing this 45 to 55 being that majority age group never even knew that because all the pictures of menopause are women a white-haired lady sat around a table looking like they're in a care home having a cup of tea aren't they <laughs> when in actual fact we're a bunch of vibrant young women sat in bars drinking gins and cocktails 
Wales. So this 45 to 55 really shocked me. And I thought, well, I can't be the only one. I, I can't, I'm sure I'm not just being a prima donna. There must be more of me. So I went to the, directly to the organization and said, how many women are organization of that age group? And then I thought, well, it was really important also then to learn how many were under 45 because we know they're all going to transition yeah. to it. And how many women are in, sort of, well, you can't talk for the entire police force, for, for Thames Valley? Within the 45 to 55 age group, it was 15% of our organisation. Wow. It was just to have 1,100 women were in that age group. And we didn't know where they were, what jobs they did, what departments they worked on, what impact it was having on them. We knew nothing because we never focused on it. And I maintained through all of this, nobody was doing anything wrong. Nobody was doing anything because they didn't realise they needed to. And actually women under 45 was 40% of our workforce. Wow. That amazes me that there's 40% women. Because as you say, you know, I think the public perception is that the police force is a very male-dominated workplace. But 40% are women. That's amazing. So I emailed anyone and everyone I could, the Women's Network, everyone to say, what is in place for menopause? I couldn't find anything on our intranet. I couldn't find any information anywhere. In fact, I did find something on the menopause and it had been last updated in 2018. And it was about some menopause cafes, which our previous assistant chief constable, she'd started to put some stuff in place, presumably when she she was going through it. Yeah. And it looked like she'd done some really good stuff, but it hadn't seemed to have got cemented and then she retired. So I think as soon as it took off, it didn't. And the fact that it was her, it went with her. So there was no one to carry on the... Yeah. So I thought, well, the best thing to do probably is go straight in at the top and ask for an audience with my chief constable. (laughs) (laughs) He's a man. Yeah. (laughs) And so I said, let me present my findings. Let me present my experience to the chief constable. So they said, yes, you can come and do it. And I thought it was just going to be the chief and maybe a couple of others. I think there were something like 43 people on that meeting. (gasps) No. Didn't occur to me that meetings were that big ever. So there I was in the kitchen on Teams. Oh, this was all during lockdown as well. Oh, during lockdown. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I literally was in the kitchen talking on my laptop and I told the chief constable those things I've just told you about, all those symptoms and and so much more. I was telling him things that I hadn't even told my family and friends at that point that I was experiencing and struggling with. And I told him everything. And I told him how many people in our force I thought it affected currently if I just went with that with that age group. And I didn't know the answers, but I was happy to go away and find them with his permission. And wonderfully, I mean, he doesn't know me from Adam. Well, he does now, he didn't. Just <laughs> <laughs> now, I bet he does now. Yeah, he had absolute confidence. It was me and a chief inspector at the time as well. She said, I'll come and do it on behalf of the Women's Network. So she and I went to him and said, let us do something about it. And he had absolute faith in us and said, go and do it. And I said, I don't know what the answer is, but trust me, I'll find it. Yeah. So we set up a menopause action group to start with. Still to this day, I keep telling them, I think the name sounds really militant, but the whole group chose it. So I had to. (laughs) Democracy reigned in that one. So we set up this action group, went to all the senior stakeholders in the force and asked for representation from all the departments. Won't surprise you to know that all the initial representation was from women of a certain age. Well, yeah. That was great, except we knew that none of us would ever remember what we talked about or why we talked about it or where we'd written (laughs) it down or anything else, just to hit the stereotype. But actually what that did at that really early point was inform to us that we couldn't just make this about menopausal women because if we did, we'd achieve nothing other than preaching to the converted. So we recognised really early on that everything we did needed to hit certain targets and we focused on five different areas. So we had those going through it, of course, importantly, those yet to go through it because if if I'd known those symptoms like the electric shocks, the hot mouth, the burning skin, if I'd known all of that and got help sooner, just maybe 
just maybe. I would have had time to maybe get like the next promotion. You know, I think about if I just got help sooner, where I'd be now. Mm, mm. Then supervisors experiencing it. Because we know in every organization, when everyone's like, let's do stuff on this, let's do stuff on that. Everyone's like, oh, the management this and the management that. And everything's all about, it only impacts people who aren't management all these things, doesn't it? That's everyone's view. But having been a supervisor going through it, because, you know, the higher you go up in any organization, the fewer of you there are. And so you can't always step away and someone step in for you. You have to find ways to adapt. So like when I would have Rob off screen (laughs) feeding me questions, you know, I I called it having a a tactical advisor in place, having someone to belt and brace your decision making, having someone that you can say, I know my menopause symptoms are really letting me down right now and are really playing up. I'm on call or or um, duty inspector or whatever it is. Could you cover this for me this weekend or and I'll do one for you? Or can, you know, just making sure that somebody knows what you're going through and is your tactical advisor that belt and braces the stuff that you're doing as a, as a supervisor, as a senior leader. Yeah. And then also then supervisors, supervising people going through it. All gets very confusing. Isn't it? Yep, knowing what your team is going through. Exactly. And then equally important to all of these levels were men. Yes. And it was really important we got the men engaged in it. One, because really we need their voice, but also we want them to be able to come into work and say, I'm utterly exhausted. I didn't get to sleep last night. She's got night sweats. She's got insomnia. She's pulling the quilt off me one minute. She's throwing it back on me the next. The windows are open. I can't sleep. Our relationship's falling apart. She's, you know, bussing heads with our teenage daughter. I'm utterly exhausted. It's affecting them. Yeah. So making sure they can come into work and say, I'm really tired today and, and I'm really worried about what's going on at home. But equally then for them to understand what their colleagues are going through, what their crewmates are going through, what their supervisors are going through, what their staff are going through. So we made sure that men were included in everything we did. Yeah. Somebody said to me a long time ago, like, get the pop stars in your organization because if you get your pop stars involved, people will follow because if they say, yeah, it's okay to be doing this and talking about this, then everyone will follow. And the firearms team, I guess most people think is predominantly male and actually it is. It's very action man, but also the women on there like Lara Croft. They're all brilliant and, and fabulous and trailblazing. So I went to them feeling utterly intimidated. And, and I thought I need to find a way to open this just to get them engaged and get them involved. The superintendent opened the meeting. So he was, I mean, he's quite a senior rank. He's two above me. All his management team are men, no, but there were a few women on the call as well. And I said, so imagine that you woke up this morning knowing that you were going to come into work and do a presentation to the women's network on the subject of erectile dysfunction and, and the impact that's had on you both professionally and personally. And I said, and that will give you some idea how I feel right now telling you guys all about the menopause. They were brilliant. They were brilliant. And my boss, the one that I said used to get the flooding and gushing muddled up, and I saw him only a couple of weeks ago and he said, after your talk, the superintendent held us all back for like another 20 minutes to talk about it. And he shared his personal experience of how his wife had been impacted, how it impacted him. And he talked to them all about it and said, you need to be open. You need to talk to me or to anyone else if you're impacted at home. That's amazing, isn't it? Incredible. Because it gets everyone involved. He didn't turn around and go, oh, well, we don't really need to worry about that. Come on, lads. Yeah. He got personal about it. And you know, if he had done that, then that would have set the tone for, this is how we are in the firearms team. We dismiss menopause. Mm. So any of these wonderful women that have trailblazed into this, this historically male-dominated department, they would go in there knowing that, shush, we don't talk about periods, we don't talk about pregnancy, we don't talk about menopause, shush. I've got to hide it, yeah. So then it would probably close that door to more and more women. But actually what he's done is said, come in. 
come into our department because this is what we do. We look after our staff. We look after our men who are experiencing it in their relationship. We recognize the impact on women and we look after you. He has, he has made that team somewhere even more inviting for women to go to. So you also realised there was a shortfall in sickness reporting? Well, there was no sickness reporting, yes, because I, I asked how many women had gone sick with the menopause and how many women referred to occupational health and they said none in both categories. So I said, well, that can't be true on Health because you referred me there, but nobody was recording menopause. And on the sickness reporting, it was only recorded as, you could do like malaise and fatigue or migraine headache, all those kind of basic things. Stress was on there too, but nothing about menopause. So that was the first thing that seemed to make sense was if we can get sickness recording in place, if we can get Oki Health to record it, then we're going to start knowing where these individuals are, what department they're on, what support do they need, what extra funding or resourcing does the department need, you know, and therefore where, where does TVP need to be protected? So initially they were like, oh, it take, takes a terribly long time to book new sickness record. You need to do this. We need to understand the rationale. And then it's not often that we get to say thank goodness for COVID, but thank goodness for COVID because within about seven minutes of it breaking, there are about 74 different categories you could report sick for COVID. So very quickly, I went back and went, hi, you know how quickly you did that? Maybe we can just do this. So that's what we did. So you can now report sick for menopause, but we didn't just stop there. We made sure that we put the symptoms. We did four categories plus an other. So we did, you know, we did the heavy bleeding. We did the insomnia. We did the migraines. We did the stress and anxiety and we did other. And the reason we wanted to do other was so that we can get some data to see if we've got the right symptoms in and whether we need to replace them. Yeah, because if everyone's writing other. Yeah, we know we've got it wrong. But the key part in this and, and the bit that I felt was really important is that whilst menopause isn't a protected characteristic, we know that the symptoms of menopause at tribunal have been held to be a disability because we know they last more than 12 months. We know that it's between something like three and 12 years. Yay. <laughs> so because those symptoms have been held to be a disability at tribunal, it felt really important that we were able to put those in. And that gives that gives our officers and staff some protection against disciplinary procedures in relation to performance and it also gives, you know, supervisors real transparency. This is your your member of staff is reporting sick for this. These are the symptoms. What can you put in place? So what reasonable adjustments do you need to look at? What open conversations can you have to address it? So instead of you've been off sick several times, we need to discipline you. It's right. Okay. The menopause clearly got a big impact on you. Let's work out what's best for you, what's best for the team, what's best for the department, what's best for the organisation. Yeah. How do we deal with this? And have you had any results as to what women have been coming back with <laughs> or how many women have been impacted and taking days off? I got it very quickly when we went for the accreditation and it was only about five months in by then. And already by then, hundreds of hours have been lost to menopause. Within the first five months of women being able to say, actually, this is the reason why I'm off sick today. Hundreds of hours. But the brilliant thing about it was that people were reporting sick with it, talking to their line managers. Line managers were coming to us, the menopause action group, to say, what do I do? How do I help? How do I support? We were working with them, with our menopause buddies that we'd set up a network of, peers that can that can help. They're working together with the officer or staff member and their supervisor to look at what reasonable adjustments can be put in place to keep them in their role, to keep them in their department, to keep that expertise and that knowledge and experience there. Because we know so many we, women leave. Yeah, exactly. So many women leave their jobs at this time because they think, like you were, I'm, I'm failing, I'm, you know, miserable. And actually all they need is some support, some practical support. Yes, definitely. You were talking to me about red 
amber and green days? Yes. So it's the tailored reason adjustments. So they're already in place around, you know, people that have gone through the adjusted duties or people that need reasonable adjustments. There's a tailored reason adjustment agreement. And it's like, I remember a while back, there used to be like mental health passports. It was that kind of thing. So when you come back from a stint of time off through illness or mental illness, then you did this passport and it was kind of what you need, what you need your supervisor to do for you, that kind of thing. I think lots of organizations had them. They were brilliant. Yeah. And it's just kind of a, a, a take on that really. So your menopause isn't there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's not crippling you every waking second, is it? But it's there all the time. We're always menopausal. It's just not always crippling us. And that's a green day. This is just me. This is who I am now. I can come in and I can do anything you need me to do. I am perfectly capable and functioning and everything else. I'm green. And then there's your amber day where you're, okay, just keep an eye on me today. Those days where you talk about, can you maybe belt and brace my decision making? Can you just keep an eye on me? I love that idea that it's not... I can't do this, but actually I just need the support for someone else to just check, be like on my shoulder slightly. And you can go to someone and say, is this right? I love that. Practical support in your role. Definitely. And I can say to my boss, you know, if she wants something doing, you know, if it's time critical or it's detailed, you know, I know that when I'm, I'm on the estrogen 12 days, that plays merry hell with me. And, and I can get very, very down or I can get very confused and I can say, so if this is detailed or this is time critical, then I'm not the person to give it to right now. If it can wait for maybe, maybe three days, because it's usually about three-ish days, it causes me really real anxiety. If it can wait, I'll do it. But if I do it now, it's not going to be what you need. And so that's really important. So that's Amber. That's you being Amber. That's you saying, I'm not saying no, but I'm saying either with this around me, I might be able to do it. Or with this delay built in, this will be fine. So that's your Amber day. And then the red is, of course, like I'm thinking. And that might be that you're at the point where you can't be at work, that you, you have to take a day sick or, or whatever, or that, you know, maybe that's the opportunity to work from home and do some admin or, or something like that. It's just a red day is, I just need to be left alone. I, I want to be part of the wallpaper. I can't front meetings. I feel utterly raw and exposed and I know it's my symptom it's going to go away, but it's a red day. Like, leave me alone. I could cry at the drop of a hat kind of thing. <laughs> thing that I find amazing because, you know, we have spoken about the fact that the general public have a perception of the police force as not as inclusive as it obviously is. And I mean, the fact that you are a menopause friendly workforce is an extraordinary achievement in itself. There aren't very many, are there? I mean, do we know how many workforces are actually accredited menopause friendly? I don't know how many workforces are. I do know that we're the only police force. See, that's so impressive. Look at the grin on your face. <laughs> So impressive. <laughs> but um, you've had no backlash against this. You've had no pushback. No, none at all. None at all. The only place that there has been backlash is when it has been put onto social media or it has been in the news and the, the misogyny that comes in those quotes on social media is just, I, I, I don't know how our comms team deal with that day in, day out. It was brutal. Yeah. And I couldn't understand it. You know, we look at the Metropolitan Police that did the, the Meno vest, so vests that simulate a hot flush. We had them coming to our force. And the reason that we had them coming and we thought it was really important was because we wanted our chief constable's management team to wear them to understand why this was important, why this was such a key part of, of our work in TVP. We wanted the stores manager to wear it so that he could understand the impacts of our uniforms because our uniforms are, you know, they're nationally sourced, they're poor quality, they're 
everybody having a hot flush and you're sweating, they're, they stink. The trousers are unisex. That just means they're men's, but available in much smaller sizes. And then, you know, we wanted some women to wear them that, that hadn't experienced it yet. So that when it happens, they're like, oh, that's what it is. So, so we had a, a, a wonderful sergeant on the dog section. She was going to wear it to see what it's like with all her kit on and suffering a hot flush with it on. So educating women, educating senior management, educating relevant departments, you know, making sure that response teams are exposed to it. So it was a really worthwhile learning, learning thing. But sadly, the two days we were supposed to have it was the day of Her Majesty's funeral. So of course it was cancelled. And then the Metropolitan Police did it. Well, I don't know if you ever saw the media headlines were utterly shocking. Met police gone woke. Absolutely shocking. This accusation of being woke for trying to understand something that impacts half the world's population. 500 million women are affected by the menopause. And yet, if a public service dare dare try and look after their staff in relation to it. They're accused of being woke. And one of the journalists was saying, you know, well, I tried it, but I can in my job because I'm a journalist. This man is the head of terrorism. Why isn't he keeping our country safe? Why is he wasting time doing this instead of protecting the country from terrorists? Completely missing the point. <laughs> what if the head of terrorism was a menopausal woman? Exactly. That's like that bad joke, isn't it, about like the surgeon and the dad and the son are in a, yeah, and it's like, oh, well, the surgeon's a woman. Yes. The whole point is that it could be a woman in the role. No, utter ignorance. We get massively attacked in the media for it. And do you think the fact that everyone got on board was because you went from the top down and your senior officers were so amazing that they just went run with it? Yes, yeah, definitely. I don't know if it would work in every organisation. It definitely works with us. Of course, we're a we're disciplined rank structure. Yeah. But it just felt for me that if I start at the top, then by just speaking to a few people, then they'll speak to people and, and keep going like that and, and keep filtering down. I also think it has a lot to do with you, Natalie, because I think you are a very persuasive woman. I think I, I think back <laughs> to that brilliant moment of you sitting in <laughs> sitting in your kitchen on a Teams meeting to 43 people. And I think no wonder they went, yeah, OK, you can run with that. Go, go do your thing, because I would let you do anything you wanted to do. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say. It's been, a, it's been a huge team effort by our whole Manifold Action Group. I'm but. sure, I'm sure. But you spearheaded that and I think that's an extraordinary thing. And so you now are, talk about your award. What award did you get? Yes, so alongside being recognised as the first Menopause Friendly Police Force in the UK, we were invited to the National Industry Awards and we were nominated for a few categories and we won Most Open Workforce. Sorry, if that's not blowing apart stereotypes that people have of the police force... That's brilliant in itself. Absolutely. And the confidence that the chief constable and his management team had in us to go away and create this template for making our force menopause friendly is brilliant. And is this something now that other police forces are taking on board? Is it something you can roll out to other police forces? Yes. Yeah, so I've presented to the National Menopause Action Group. So there's a national and every police force in the country has a representation in the Menopause Action Group. I've presented to them. It was Hempix Menopause in the Workplace that we worked with to get the accreditation. It goes to an independent panel and we use them to bring some training in. That was really important. And so you were saying that you're going to retire. <gasps> yes, I am. Is this going to be like the cafes though? Or are there women under you that are going to surge forward with this? No, they're definitely going to surge forward. So we have 
have we have a fabulous menopause action group. We have a fabulous network of 50 menopause buddies. We put out an email in December just to say, anybody else want to come and join the action group? We were inundated. Also put out, does anybody want to be the chair of the menopause action group? And I did suggest that maybe they should do it in a pair because it's it's an awful lot of work. <laughs> and fabulously, we have a new pair. One of them has been a buddy from the outset and the other one has been my sergeant to my right hand go-to person on this group. She's been absolutely wonderful. So they're taking it over. That's amazing. Well, I have to say congratulations to you all. Thank you. And I think anyone listening, there are so many take-homes that they can go to their organisations and say, actually, this is how you do it. This is the template for making every workplace menopause friendly. It's amazing, Natalie. Hats off to you. I'm deeply, deeply impressed. Oh, India, thank you. And I would say to all of them, if your organisation doesn't listen to you and doesn't do anything about it, come and join Thames Valley Police. <laughs> you get to be a police officer, you can come as a member of staff. We've got roles for everyone. So come and join. It's a, it's a wonderful organisation to work for. <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me today and uh, hopefully see you very soon. Thanks for having me, India. It's been a pleasure. Next time, I'm back talking to Dr. Katie. This time, we're looking at the alternatives to HRT that your GP can offer you. We discuss how antidepressants can actually be used to help with hot flushes and not just the fear of being given them as a misdiagnosis of your menopause, how CBT can be a game-changer, and she casts her medic's eye over some of the herbal remedies and what to be cautious of. If you want to join in... Head to bemoreorgopod.co.uk. You'll find our pod forum, full of women just like you, finding the funny in what we're all going through and sharing stories, so we never have to feel like we're going it alone again. And if you have a question about anything you've heard or a hot topic you'd like to hear covered on the pod, then email me on bemoreorgopod at gmail.com or follow me at b.more.orca. Thank you.